Well, next week is the next Monster Kid Radio Crash event, and yes, it's another Santo film. The Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon, on February 20th, as part of the Cinescopio series of films, is showing El Santo versus the Martians, or at least that's the title they're giving it. I think the title in Spanish is Santo versus La Invasion de los Marcianos, but again, I can't speak or read Spanish. Call it a birth defect. Anyway, I hope if you're in the Portland, Oregon area, you'll consider joining us at the Hollywood Theater as we all descend on the Hollywood to watch Santo fight the forces of Mars and save the world in this classic film. Now, tickets are $8. I would recommend that you buy your tickets in advance because it was a pretty full crowd last month. And this is a popular series. I can't wait for the movie. We're also going to see the documentary Viva Lucha Libre as a double feature with this film. Now, there's no panel this time around, but there will be one next month. So you'll just have to come back in March for that one. But you're going to get two movies, a feature length film and a short documentary for eight bucks. And you're going to get to see it with your fellow Monster Kid Radio listeners. We have an event page set up on Facebook for the Monster Kid Radio Crash. The film itself has an event page. Head over to monsterkidradio.net to follow the link in the show notes to the Hollywood Theater or just go straight to Hollywood Theater and that's theater with an R-E at the end dot org and you can buy your tickets now. I'm going to be there. I'm going to have my recorder there. I know Ray and Chris, who were at the last crash, are planning to be there as well so I'm hoping they can make it and that I can record with them and if you're going to be there track me down and I'll record with you and put you on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. Viva El Santo! is Hillbilly Beast from the Surf Zombies on their album Lust for Rust that appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. You can find out more about them over on Bandcamp or Facebook. Follow the notes over at monsterkidradio.net to find links to their website and to find out about this episode of Monster Kid Radio. This is episode number 72 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, Derek M. Cook, and I am excited... As always, it seems like I'm excited every episode, but I am excited because we are talking about The Son of Kong this week on Monster Kid Radio. Now, on episode 71, released a couple of days ago, I was joined by Stephen D. Sullivan to talk a little bit about this movie that took less than nine months to get off the ground and into theaters after the original King Kong. This is a sequel to that film, and this episode is a sequel to the episode we did a couple of days ago. Steve is back to talk about The Son of Kong some more with me here on Monster Kid Radio. And I'm stoked because he took some time out of his busy writing schedule to talk with us about The Son of Kong. I say busy because right now he is in the middle of Tournament of Death 3. This is his fantasy novel, a chapter a day that he's doing during the Winter Olympics. Look up Tournament of Death 3 on Kickstarter to see how you can get involved and how you can get chapters as they're written or go to his website at stephendsullivan.com or sdsullivan.com. 
Com. You can find out more about what he's doing at his website, whether it's Tournament of Death, Daikaiju Attack, the White Zombie novelization that came out last year, everything that he's got going on you're going to find at his website. Get over there. And get over to our website, again, that's monsterkidradio.net, to find our contact information. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-5657. Or our email address, which is monsterkidradio at gmail. Com. We've also got our YouTube, our Live 365 channel, our Flickr album. Basically, everything that you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes, you're going to find at our website or at our Facebook group or page. Look us up over on Facebook. Give us a like. Join the group and join the Monster Kid community between episodes. We are still in the middle of our 50 review challenge. Now, we have hit a total of 37 reviews as of this recording. Once we hit 50 reviews in the iTunes store, and I'm talking 50 Honest reviews. Once we get to 50 honest reviews in the iTunes store, I'm going to launch a new monthly show here on Monster Kid Radio. A monthly show devoted to nothing but Creature from the Black Lagoon. Longtime listeners of Monster Kid Radio know that this is my favorite film of all time. And this special monthly Creature show is going to be about Creature, the sequels, the franchise, the influence, people that were involved in the movie, people who love the movie, people who collect things about the movie. I can't wait to talk about this movie in its own special show. But to do it, we need to get to 50 honest reviews in the iTunes store. So if you haven't already done so, I'm going to ask you to head over to iTunes and drop us a review over there. Here's another call to action. The Rondo Awards are coming up. Now, the Rondo Awards every year celebrate the best in classic horror fandom. I mean, there are awards for best film, best television show, best article, best magazine cover, best reviewer, horror host. I mean, there's all sorts of things. There's typically even a best podcast category. So right now, the nominations are still being accepted by the folks over at the Rondo Awards. Go over to RondoAward.com to learn how you can nominate your favorite films, media, TV shows, podcasts, articles, whatever. The awards themselves kick off Sunday, February 16th. You can also email the Rondo Awards folks over at T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com if you have some ideas for things that should be on the ballot this year. There will be links in the show notes to get to all of this, of course. Stick around for after part two of the Son of Kong discussion because I'm going to remind everybody about the Long Live the King documentary project in the works by Benevolent Monster Productions. I'm excited about that documentary. That's going to be a lot of fun. There's also another Kickstarter campaign I'm going to mention. I think I've mentioned it here in the past before, but I'm going to mention it again at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. Of course, we can't get to that until we get to part two of our discussion of the Son of Kong with Stephen D. Sullivan. So why don't we get to that right after this? It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Now, you you said you did a little bit of research about the movie and all. Is there a reason why Faye Ray or Bruce Cabot didn't come back? I don't think they really approached them to come back. Okay. But I could tell, I think the, uh, the time frame that they were working in, 
and the circumstances, the fact that the original Kong, I think, was budgeted at $670,000 for that three-year effort. Right. This one was a nine-month effort and had $250,000. Yeah. You've got to cut corners somewhere yeah. there. Maybe you read something about it, but I hadn't. No, I haven't seen anything either, so I was wondering. But it does show us that even back in the 30s, Hollywood is always make a sequel for less money. So And less time. Yeah. You know, we got to crank it out, strike where the fire is. You know, it's, and I get that, but man, I can't imagine being in Willis O'Brien's shoes. Right. I don't know if you know the story associated with him and Son of Kong either, but if having less time and less budget weren't enough... He was married to a, a woman previously and had two sons by her that were fairly old old kids, I think, teenagers or maybe later. And during the shooting of Son of Kong, she had tuberculosis and was unwell and had mental illness. And during the making of the picture, she shot both of the kids and killed them okay. and shot herself as well. And so Willis O'Brien had to deal with all that in addition to trying to put this story together and get the special effects on screen. And that's why a lot of people, uh, Ray Harryhausen, I think included, think that there's, in some sense, there's not a lot of his work in Son of Kong. That, yes, his, his name was on it, but some, some people even say he asked that his name be removed, but Cooper and Schotzak knew that his name had value, so they weren't about to do that. Now, I, I had known that Willis O'Brien had suffered that tragedy. Uh, I had read a, a biography of Marion C. Cooper, which was fascinating. Uh, I mean, that man's life is just, oh. man, James Cameron wishes he could have done everything that Cooper did. <laughs> you know, I mean, Cooper is just this explorer, and filmmaking is just one tiny part of his life. But anyway, I, I had read in that biography about what had happened with Willis O'Brien, and there are some photos from the production of either Son of Kong or Cooking on the Monsters. And uh, when he found the news and all that, and the reporters still wanted to interview him, Willis O'Brien would, like, tear up the photos and, like, storm away. And some of the photos that are in this biography are these torn photos of Willis O'Brien working on some of these monsters that they were able to, you know, retrieve from the garbage or whatever. Because just he didn't take it well, and, and understandably so. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine dealing with that while working on this incredibly tightly budgeted and, and time yeah. scheduled movie. I mean, he you have no time and you yeah. have no no money, and suddenly your family is literally wiped out. Although I guess the ex-wife survived for a year longer, so shot herself. But <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> uh, it's just you know. And for people that those kind of things are modern inventions, you know, there's always been that you know that one crazy spouse that uh, you know kind of. Uh, my advice is shoot yourself first, then shoot the kids. Right there, there you go. There you go. If you got to uh, do it. A horrible thing to say. But. That's true. That's true. But, you know, I mean, in a situation where there are kids involved, definitely. And, and Willis O'Brien, you know, that's probably the worst thing to happen to him. But he really didn't catch a lot of breaks, you know, down the line anyway. Right. And it's unfortunate. You have to wonder if that cast a shadow over the whole rest of his career. Because O'Brien was a brilliant, brilliant guy. Oh, yeah. He was a brilliant artist and basically invented all of these effects that have became the modern art of special effects and he couldn't get work he kept having projects canceled under him there was a project called creation that he wanted to do after the lost world and before kong 
that they got 20 minutes of test footage and built all these things, and then it was one of these rotating studio head things. One head was out, another one was in, and suddenly this, you know, this million-dollar project suddenly completely abandoned. I believe that some of those models actually ended up in Son of Kong, because yeah. you know, when you're pressed for time and money, you use what you've got on hand. There was just a series of those kind of things. I mean, you read about War Eagles. Oh, and I was just about to bring that up, man. I, I've seen like production drawings and, and just what – I've read a little bit of what that movie would have been. That would have been a, a showcase for O'Brien. Right, right. And it, you, you think the guy that did King Kong doing this film – and getting so far with it and then just having it collapse out under him. And this is a film, for those of you that haven't read about War Eagles, that would have involved, it was kind of a steampunk current setting, so it had airships, and it had Vikings who rode giant eagles into battle, and it had dinosaurs. And if I haven't gotten you with Vikings, airships, and dinosaurs... And giant Sign eagles, me up. I was going to say, turn in your monster kid's card right now <laughs> if, if you don't think oh my god that sounds awesome i know right it's it would have been amazing it would have been amazing it would have been amazing there is a screenplay that you can get for it i don't have it there's a novelization of the screenplay oh wow uh, which i've gotten have only started reading but willis o'brien's life was like that it was like a series of kind of cutbacks and disappointments where he would he had these great ideas and what we ended up with was Lost World and King Kong and Mighty Joe Young. Those are the pinnacle oh, yeah. of his work and shows you what he could do if people just let him do the work. And then you have Son of Kong, which is somewhere kind of it's not as good as those three. But you can see his genius kind of shining out even through the rough edges of Son of Kong. It's a tragedy, you know, but what can we do about it? There's nothing we can do. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing even Ray Harryhausen could do about it except write books about it and talk about it and that kind of stuff. He was a hard luck kid. And I, I got to think a lot of that has to go back to, to the, you know, the murder of his two children by his ex-wife. Yeah. You know, and it's, I think I've either mentioned it here on monster kid radio or in feedback over to the B movie cast, you know, without Willis O'Brien and King Kong, we wouldn't have a Ray Harryhausen. And without Ray Harryhausen, you know, we wouldn't to bring it back to your Daikaiju attack. You know, Ray Harryhausen's giant monsters, you know, put the idea of giant monsters into the ideas of the Japanese. And then without the, that, you know, no Godzilla. And, you know, I mean, you'd see the impact and the influence. And you could trace so much of fantasy film and, and monster cinema back to O'Brien. It's a shame that he doesn't Absolutely. get, you know, as much. Or, or he didn't get as much appreciation as he deserved that I think he clearly deserved uh, right. during his lifetime. I mean, I talk about the Black Scorpion being one of my favorite monster movies of all time, which I believe is the last movie he worked on. Yeah, it's certainly one of them, if yeah. not the and absolute last one. The Black Scorpions look great, and even then, the studios were like, well, that's awesome, but uh, we need something different for the close-up, and it's totally, while you know, there might be some charm to that, the close-ups of the Black right. Scorpions' faces are clearly not O'Brien. Right. And it's Well, and, and again, that's a movie where they just kept, kept cutting back the budget. Yep. There's, I love the Black Scorpion. I think it's a, a really cool movie. But it's one where the budget limitations show. There's at least one scene where it's like the black scorpion is just a black silhouette of a scorpion. It's like yeah. they have the matte outline of the scorpion, but they never had the money to print the scorpion into the matte outline moving across the screen. There are a number of those. And the same kind of stuff happened in the giant behemoth where it's just like 
all right, we ran out of money here, so we're going to do a sock puppet for the behemoth in this, right? Yeah. And sadly, <laughs> O'Brien suffered from that a lot. You know, I think um, the Black Scorpion, I think, holds up fairly well. And in terms of cheese, having the uh, fake scorpion face is it's wonderfully cheesy. But yeah, no, it doesn't support the film at all. No. It's not. It's not even to the level of um, of King Kong with the giant ape face. Doesn't quite match. Yeah. The faces of of the uh, the miniature apes. I think the only thing that in, in, that I've seen that it, that's, that's actually more jarring is uh, Bella Lugosi's Murders in the Rue Morgue. We've got Charlie Gamora in this wonderful monkey, you know, ape suit, and then they oh, do right, a close right, up right, right. of the chimp, and it's a live chimp, and it's clearly not for a suit, and it's just so jarring and disconnecting and right but you know yeah, what like can you, you do didn't quite trust what they were doing there and, and decided to kind of cheap out at the same time right. and it's yeah it and it's tricky you know uh, working like you said just imagining working within the kind of budget and time restrictions a lot of these things had it boggles the mind that they were able to get i i'm amazed they could produce this film even though it's only an hour and nine minutes long right with a number of animated creatures and monster battles and this wonderful score by Max Steiner and really good acting by all the principal characters. It really is. I mean, don't we've talked about how lighthearted some parts of this movie is uh, or, or are, but don't be mistaken. Don't, don't be mistaken here. I mean, these performances are solid and I was probably more invested in denim in this than I was in the first film. And you know, a lot of that is Robert Armstrong's performance and, I think the acting of this is as good. It's very good. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's people make fun of the acting in Kong nowadays because it's not the kind of acting people are used to now. But for the time, the acting is fine. If you just settle back and go with it, in the 1930s, people talked like that. Yeah. <laughs> they behaved like that. If you look at any other films from the time, this was the way people talked and behaved. Exactly. It, it may not be the way we talk and behave, but this is the way they talk and behave. And so that's the standard you have to judge people by, not whether Robert Armstrong is James Dean. Because <laughs> he's not. Because he's not James Dean. But, Dick. you know, for, for the time period, and that's one of the things that I've said on numerous podcasts in the past, is that when you go into these older movies, you don't get to just see a great story. You get to see kind of a look into how things were kind of done, the society, the norms, the mores, and all this other stuff about the time period in which the film was created. And there's a lot of that 1930s kind of patter in this movie that right. I really appreciate. Robert Armstrong always calls uh, you know, the female lead kiddo or kid, which, you know, again, it's, it, it's so... It's endearing. Exactly. It's endearing and evocative of the era, and it's perfect. Right. Yeah, it's a little paternal, but he starts out feeling paternal. Exactly. Forward. Because she's in a she's in a tough spot. The the circus is burned down, and not to reveal too much, she's had a great loss. So he's he's again he's being a generous character. He's being kind to her, and he starts calling her kid, and then it becomes, you know, kind of like the a nickname for them as their as their relationship changes over the course of the film. He's one of the reasons I love this movie. Uh, as much as I enjoy the stop motion by uh, Willis O'Brien's. Or, and or his crew, including uh, Buzz Gibson, who apparently did a lot of the actual hands-on animation. There's pictures of Buzz Gibson working with the, uh, the Styracosaurus, among others. As much as I enjoy all that, 
I don't think any of this works without Robert Armstrong giving just a great performance as Carl Denham. Definitely. But I do want to talk about the monster, and I do want it to Son of Kong. Absolutely. So he's a smaller version of King Kong. He's definitely... Well, he may or may not be the actual true son of King Kong, but I mean, he looks like him. He's got the same facial features and he's white, right? He's a, a lighter color. Right. He's not an albino because I, they never mentioned that, but he's, his fur is white and Robert Armstrong says he's, uh, or Denim says that he's about tall when describing him. And it's, yeah, that's probably about right because this was a uh, movie making on the cheap. He's actually <laughs> yeah. made from the original King Kong. It's the same model. Is it the same model? It's, I was going to ask that. It's the same armature underneath the model, anyway. Reuse the armatures. And that's one of the reasons a lot of these monsters, the originals don't exist anymore, because they would take them apart and then use them again. And so the one that, that is used for Son of Kong was one of the King Kong models again, as well. And so that's why it looks like him. Although you can tell, even though Marcel Delgado, who's a brilliant sculptor and creature creator, he worked on these. You can see in Son of Kong on a DVD, you can see the uh, sculpt's not quite as good. The detail's not quite as good. It's clear that it was a little more rushed. But at the same time, there's definitely a family resemblance sure. there. Sure between the, the two monsters. We never see a Mrs. Kong. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. Um, maybe, maybe the third entry in the franchise that somebody needs to get on is, you know, Mrs. Kong. Yeah, or yeah something. maybe. Yeah. There was um, Peter Jackson, when he was doing the uh, the remake a couple of years ago, they did a series of video diaries. Uh-huh. Uh, and one, I guess it was every week or something like that. But they had one that came out that talked about how they were already planning the sequel. And in the sequel, they went back to Skull Island and they found the son of Kong and he was kidnapped by the Nazis and taken to Nazi Germany <laughs> and, and, and ended up mounting rocket launchers on son of Kong, rampaging through the streets, trying to get Hitler and this kind of stuff. And they had like little animatics for it. Oh, wow. And it, it turned out if you check the date, it was their April fool release. <laughs> But it's kind of a wonderful little, uh, and as I recall, it was Son of Kong. Maybe it was the revivified corpse of Kong, but it was kind of, oh, it was man. related to that. It was a sequel. That would have been. And it um, was, yeah. it was pretty funny. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, that yeah. model, that Kong model is, still exists today. The armature exists. Right. The Son of Kong is uh, based on the same model. He looks the same. He looks like he could be a kid of King Kong, but it's a much gentler character. And I, I read and I heard that um, Ruth Rose had said she knew that they didn't have money to make this. She knew that they couldn't go for the spectacle. So she decided to make it a lighter film in terms of comedy and interaction. And The Son of Kong is, it's like watching a baby animal in some sense. You know, he's kind of naive, he's funny, he's not really menacing, and very quickly befriends Denim and our, our heroine, who our unnamed heroine kid, whose name is Hilda, which I never remember. Yeah. Well, it's only in the end credits, yes. And there's one moment, like, where they're camping out at night, you know, Denim and kid are <laughs> they're camping out and son of kong kind of looks around the corner and sees them cuddling up together and he puts his hand to his mouth. He's got that tee-hee kind of thing going on. It's, right. It's freaking adorable. Right. And <laughs> it's pretty cute. Now, if you're expecting a menacing King Kong, well, that 
that guy ain't in this picture. No. This is his cute, cuddly kind of kid. And there's even one shot where he, he literally looks at the camera and kind of shrugs. Did, did Son of Kong just break <laughs> the fourth wall he's, there? He's playing to the camera. He know. Yeah. It's <laughs> right. You know, and, it's he sounds a lot different. Too, because King Kong, I mean, big monster, you know, screaming, yelling, whatever. Son of Kong sounded to me like a very happy Chewbacca. Yeah, you know, I mean, he yeah. just sounds—he's <laughs> like a kid. He's kind of more, it's more. He has a roar, but mostly, you know, Kong used to go, and Son of Kong is like, exactly. <laughs> it's a much more juvenile kind of yep. kind of creature, and that's that's part of the fun. Again, I don't think Ruth. Rose gets enough credit for this. I think she did about as good a job as you could do writing a low-budget sequel to a huge blockbuster. Because she takes Denim, she puts him through the the consequences of his actions in the first film, and brings him back to Skull Island to confront the child of the parent that he got killed. And you see that interaction with Denim where there's a moment where where he and Helen Mack see Son of Kong, and at first they're scared, but then she's like, look, he's trapped in quicksand. And she, remember, she's working with monkeys, so she has real sympathy for animals. And Denim very quickly kind of goes like, oh, maybe he's not threatening. God, God, you know, I got this old man, I got this old man killed. I, ugh. And so he has this kind of, arc where he's he goes from the guy that was relentlessly trying to capture kong in the first film to where he feels bad about that he realizes not just because he's in jeopardy financially but because of the chaos that he caused and because confronted with it and thinking about it he realizes he really mistreated this animal and he even says as he's helping little kong maybe we'd all have been better off if I'd never taken him off the island. Yeah. And that's, that's a really nice arc and it's a nice piece of writing, I think, as well as a nice piece of acting by, again, by uh, Robert Armstrong. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, You know, there's, I think, another line of dialogue where he, well, I think I already mentioned this, where they're helping out Son of Kong, Little Kong, and, you know, consider this an apology for everything that I've done. And I think the only thing, the only people that maybe Robert Armstrong, or excuse me, Denim, hasn't necessarily come clean with at this point are the natives on the island. Because at the very beginning, when they get to the island, the natives are like, well, you let Kong out of the wall, and, uh, you know, that's bad. And then, I mean, what happens at right. the end? I, I mean, I everybody. that scene too, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he arrives, they arrive at the island in a small boat, and Denim says, the natives are going to love us because we did them a, <laughs> a real favor by taking Kong off the island. And Noble Johnson, who was the chief in the first film, has survived. And he leads the other natives out of the jungle. And they throw a spear at Denim just to show them that they mean business. And they're like, you got a whole bunch of our people killed and ruined our village. So even when he thinks he's maybe off the hook, what his past actions still come back to bite him. Again, that's I love that about this picture. It's like every time he thinks he's going to get away with something, he doesn't. Until he actually has to kind of force himself to change and realize what I did was selfish. Maybe it was selfish in a grand way and that I was going to share the fortune with everybody. But I did something that caused a lot of people pain. And nobody, nobody in the first film was better off 
because of what Denim instigated in bringing taking Kong from the island and bringing him to New York. And the confrontation with the natives brings that out. It's just a very brief scene. But I love that scene because, again, it defies your expectations and certainly what he thinks and brings Denim back to reality from his kind of glorious white man savior of these natives. It's like, no, you screw lives. We had it all under control. We had a wall. We had sacrifices. Kong left us alone. It was all good until you showed up and then bang, <laughs> suddenly, you know, he's Kong's rampaging through the village, crushing people into the dirt, tearing down our houses. Right. <laughs> you ruined everything. Carl, what were you thinking? And they end up having to leave. They can't stay. One of the things that I'm hoping that at the end of the film, which we won't discuss, I'm hoping that some of the natives turn out okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In the end of the film, there's a brief clip of more calamities happening to these yeah. poor native guys. And yes, they were sacrificing people to Kong, and that's not a great thing. But, but, <laughs> but still, getting their whole village wrecked and people killed and that kind of stuff, not not the greatest not thing in the world. So, not at all. So I like that. I like that little moment where they're like, hey, they're going to think we're great here. Oh, they don't think we're great at all. In fact, they <laughs> they think they want to kill us if we Uh-oh. want to stay. Right. <laughs> You know, um, Robert Armstrong did turn up in Mighty Joe Young, which yep. is pretty much the the spiritual sequel to these films. They're not directly tied, but it's the same people right. that made it. And uh, we'll talk about that on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. I think I'm going to have Scott Morris on for that. I love that. Uh, I love Mighty Joe. It's wonderful. Yeah, it is. It really is. And that's that's where you kind of see the passing of the torch from O'Brien to Harryhausen and that. So. Right, absolutely. That's a- right. Most of the animation in it. But, you know... As much as I like Mighty Joe, it doesn't have dinosaurs. <laughs> Got to have dinosaurs. Son of Kong has dinosaurs. Yep. So as much as I love Mighty Joe, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and Mighty Joe for me, even though the animation is much more advanced in some ways than either of these earlier films, if Mighty Joe just had some dinosaurs in it, man, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that would be perfect. And and that's one of the things I like about Son of Kong is it does have dinosaurs. Yep. It doesn't have a lot of dinosaurs, but it has a number of dinosaurs, and they're better uh, dinosaurs than you're you're going to get in your standard film because they're stop motion. Yep. Agreed. Uh, the movie's pretty easily available on DVD. I mean, it's it's out there, and I believe there was even a three pack at one point of King Son of Kong and Mighty Joe Young. Uh, I was able to find it real quick. Right. Don't be misled by uh, the Alpha Video or Oldies.com release Sons of Kong because Son of Kong is not in that collection. Uh, that is a collection of movies that just are basically gorilla movies, it's men in apes. Suits. Public domain gorilla movies. Yeah. But on the other hand, the version of Sons of Kong that I have is one of the coolest packages. Do you have the pop up? I have the pop up. Oh, version. nice. It, it has a pop up. For those of you that don't know, it has an actual pop-up cover where you open it and the, the gorilla and the girl, they're little cutouts and they stand out like they're an old kid's book. It, you know, When I bought it at the time, it was just a cool, cheap DVD and then it was like, oh my god, look at this. This is the coolest yep. package ever. Yep, yep. <laughs> but as cool as it is, Son, Son of Kong in that, you have to go, you know, Son it's of not. Kong is not public domain uh, despite 
being a movie from 1933. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> not all are. Yeah, not all, not all are. RKO and Turner and all those had their hands involved with that. So uh, that one is not public domain, but it's easy to get your hands on, and I recommend you check it out. Uh, I did put. And the good news yeah. is that since it's a DVD by a major company. It's got a good print. Yeah, that's true. It's not a public domain print. It is quite good. I hope at some point they'll release it on Blu-ray, but we'll just have to see. You know, there just may not be the market for it. And uh, as you mentioned, I I picked it up in a set that had Kong and an extra disc and Mighty Joe Young and this, and that's a wonderful thing to get if you can get it that way. But just buying it singly, I don't even think it's it's probably no more than ten dollars at this right. point. Right. Yeah, pretty pretty affordable. You have no yeah, excuse not to have it. And it comes on to Turner Classic Movies every once in a while, like Kong does. So just keep your eyes peeled. Well, Stephen, I appreciate you coming by and talking about Sonic Kong, an underrated gem. I feel like it's one people need to so. at least once. You know, we barely even mentioned Max Steiner's music. Okay, yeah, we got – okay, you know, fair enough. I'm a film <laughs> score collector. Uh, I love Max Steiner's music from King Kong, and uh, I believe the soundtrack album for Son of Kong is a, it's a combination of that and music from The Most Dangerous Game, isn't it? It is, and it's a wonderful thing. It's I think it's less than $10 on iTunes oh, wow. and maybe available um, – Fairly cheaply from Amazon, too, but I, I downloaded it because, you know, less than $10, Max Steiner, Son of Kong, I'm Sold. there. And it's got some, some wonderful callbacks to the original Kong music, as well as some interesting new music and, and a, a little bit of a love theme and that kind of stuff. It's If you like soundtracks, well, Max Steiner, you should have a Max Steiner library. You should. And this should be in it, because The Most Dangerous Game is a great soundtrack, too. So. Yeah, I love my film scores. Everybody knows. <laughs> you talk to me for about five minutes, and and you'll, I, you're the yeah. only person I think I know that has more film scores than I. Do. Oh, I love that so. stuff. That's what I listen to all day. You know, I just I love it. <laughs> I love it. And uh, I write to very little else except films. Yeah, exactly. So. Same here. You know, and and uh, you know, Max Steiner's work is iconic. Uh, you know, I think when you think giant monster movies, you don't necessarily go to Steiner because you start thinking about, you know, the Godzilla stuff and, and what was done over there. But, you know, the Max, the Max Steiner orchestrations in King Kong, there's a callback in Son of Kong, but there's a lot of original music in Son of Kong as right. well. And it's worth it's worth picking up. You're not getting, you're not just getting a repeat of anything that you, or of everything they had in the first film. Right. And it's, it's really by him. It's not someone else that took Stein score and then redid it as we had in, Oh, say the second Superman film where it wasn't really John Williams. It was someone else. This is real pure Max Steiner and it shows it's wonderful. Yeah. The, the Superman two thing was a mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love some of the, the evil Kryptonian music in that it's, it's not the way that whole movie happened was a mess. So, <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. We, we really could. Maybe, you know, when, when I run out of monster movies, yeah, yep. I think that'll happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, Max Steiner, add him to your iPod, add son of Kong to your DVD collection. And where can people find you online? People can find me online at Stephen D Sullivan.com. That's Stephen with a PH like Stephen King. Or if you don't want to go that far, you can do S E Sullivan.com as well. And, of course, if you're wanting to read the free giant monster serial, daikaijuattack.com. If you Google that, that'll probably turn up. So maybe S.D. Sullivan's the easiest thing. Well, of course, go to monsterkidradio.net, and there's going to be links in the show notes. Well, thanks for joining me this time around. I'll have to have you back down the line. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been a great pleasure. We'll talk again, I'm sure. (laughs) 
again, you can find out about all things Stephen D. Sullivan at his website, stephendsullivan.com or sdsullivan.com. We love all things King Kong here at Monster Kid Radio. Eventually, we're going to talk about Mighty Joe Young, and we're going to talk about some other King Kong things down the line. And I can't wait to talk about the documentary Long Live the King, The Legacy of Kong, once it's completed. It's the new documentary in the works by Benevolent Monster Productions. You can find out more about them over at benmonsterfilms.com. Last week on Monster Kid Radio in episodes number 69 and 70, we had an interview with Frank Dietz, one of the people behind this upcoming documentary. Now, Benevolent Monster Productions is the group behind the Beast Wishes documentary, which was a Rondo Award-winning documentary about Bob and Kathy Burns. It's a solid documentary. If you haven't seen it yet, you really need to. You owe it to yourself. If you're a monster kid, if you're a fan of these types of movies, you need to see this documentary because it's a wonderful love letter to Bob and Kathy Burns. And Long Live the King is shaping up to be a wonderful love letter to all things Kong. Now, the crowdfunding campaign is being hosted over at CappyPal. That's K-A-P-I-P-A-L dot com. You can go over there, look up Long Live the King, The Legacy of Kong, or again, go to monsterkidradio.net and follow the link in the show notes. I love King Kong. I love giant monsters. And I love Cthulhu. The HP Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon for 2014 is shaping up to be an awesome time. I've been going to this thing here in Portland, Oregon for years. I've lost track, but I know that I've gone for at least the past 10 years, probably more. April 11th through the 13th this year is the 2014 edition of the festival in CthulhuCon. I can't wait because one of the movies that they're going to be playing is Curse of the Crimson Ultra starring Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee and Barbara Steele. I mean, this is a classic movie. This is one of my favorite non-traditional Boris Karloff films. The first time I saw it was at a Lovecraft Film Festival, and I can't wait to see it again at the Lovecraft Film Festival. And I'm in talks with the festival directors to possibly introduce the film at the festival. As we know more, well, obviously I'll say more here on the show, but in the meantime... You can check out HPLFilmFestival.com to learn more about the film festival in CthulhuCon, or you can look them up on Kickstarter as well, because they've also got a Kickstarter campaign going. Its deadline is February 24th, and they have already hit their main goals right now. They're trying to get some stretch goals, and the next one, as of this recording, is to fly author Joseph F. Pulver over from Europe, get him back at the festival. I mean, the festival is just not the same without him. That's the next stretch goal, and there are other stretch goals after that. You won't find out about the stretch goals until we get to those levels. So if you haven't had a chance to pledge to the Lovecraft Film Festival and are interested in doing so, get over to that Kickstarter and pledge your support. We've been really lucky to have some excellent music played here on the show. Every song that you hear on Monster Kid Radio, we've been given permission to play by the bands. Over at monsterkidradio.net, if you click on bands slash songs, you can find a list of every band and every song that's appeared here on Monster Kid Radio. One of those bands is the Radioactive Kids, and they've contacted me to tell me that they've got a new show coming up. I told them that if they have a new show coming up, that I'd let people know about it. If you are in Spain, the city of Murcia, they have a show coming up on February 22nd. Now, I don't speak Spanish, and I certainly can't read Spanish, but if you look up Radioactive Kids... En La Sala Music. Over on Facebook, you can find their event on Facebook for this new show. There will be a link to this in the show notes as well. So again, monsterkidradio.net is your go-to guide for everything that we talk about here on the show, including a link to the band The Surf Zombies, which gave us permission to play the song Hillbilly Beast from their album 
Lust for Rust. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, Hillbilly Beast. That, as I said, belongs to the Surf Zombies. You're going to hear that here in a second. I want to tell you next week, if all goes according to plan... I'm going to have somebody brand new on the podcast that you guys and gals have never heard on Monster Kid Radio before, but I'll tell you this, he's a huge fan of the Universal Frankenstein films, specifically The Ghost of Frankenstein, so I invite you to come back next week. Keep it locked into Monster Kid Radio. Here's Hillbilly Beast. Talk to you next week. (laughs) 